everybody, Jimmy Smith on today's Unlocking the Cage podcast. Where does Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder 3 rank all time in the greatest heavyweight fights? I talked to Phil Murphy about the resignation of John Gruden from the Las Vegas Raiders and Kyrie Irving, perhaps done in Brooklyn. The new Scream trailer and horror movie reboots, we talk about them. Are they worth it? The Hyperbole, a modern classic. Um, what a fight. Unbelievable. I'm not opposed to all those things when, when talking about Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder three, it was a very entertaining fight. I liked it from start to finish. It did have the stakes. I like in a fight. Of course, we can talk about the, the alphabet soup and Alexander Usyk having more titles than blah, 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 blah. the winner of this fight probably considered across the board, the best heavyweight in boxing. Even if Deontay Wilder had won it, people would argue it was Alexander Usyk who recently beat Anthony Joshua for sure. But this was generally considered the battle for number one. Before I go any further, KOB, is that fair? This was generally considered the battle for number one. If you ask the average casual fan, I wonder if any of them even know who Alexander Usyk is. Yeah, it was absolutely Very true. In the yes. eyes of the general public, especially casual boxing fans, this was the real heavyweight championship of the world. Right. If Deontay Wilder had won, there were boxing purists like myself perhaps who would have put you sick ahead of Deontay Wilder that that is possible but as you said KB, your average guy at 7-eleven who it doesn't really follow boxing this was for all the marbles this is for the number one guy in the world now that Tyson Fury did win it and he won it by knockout he is to me number one in the world I put you six second I would put Anthony Joshua third I put Deontay Wilder fourth at this point so this was for all the marbles which I like but we tend to get a little wrapped up, especially when it comes to boxing. In uh, this being, and I've heard people say it, the, the greatest trilogy in boxing history. That I don't see at all. Um, let's start with the fight itself. It was incredibly entertaining. The, 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 the trade-off. Generally speaking in combat sports, and I, I mean this from top to bottom, is usually between great fighters, we don't often get an entertaining match because they're too good. So when you see really skilled boxers or really skilled mixed martial artists go at it, a lot of times they are too good to give us the most entertaining fight in the world. It, it, it's just how it is. They are, they, their defense is good. They have good movement, good footwork, um, excellent technique. You don't always get the most entertaining fight. So this one was incredibly entertaining, but part of the reason it was so entertaining is both guys were so incredibly hittable. We didn't see a lot of defense. The shots that knocked Tyson Fury down, I must admit at the time, I was a little surprised he went down. He looked exhausted. They weren't the cleanest punches in the world. They were a little bit short. And yet, those knockdowns, those constant changes and shifts in momentum made it a very entertaining fight, but it wasn't the most technical boxing match in the world, to say the least. And to me, that's part of it. Part of that entertainment factor is so high, but part of the reason is both guys were not that technical. And so when I compare this, for example, to a... And KLB, we were doing this uh, with each other before the, the show started on our, on our production call. We were talking about Gotti Ward 
And one of the reasons that's, that fight was so entertaining is widely considered probably the greatest trilogy in boxing history is neither guy was elite as a boxer. They were good, not great. So they were both extremely vulnerable. They were both comparatively easy to hit. They were both blood and guts warriors. Um, Irish Mickey Ward was essentially a journeyman. No one expected very much out of him. So was, there was this idea of, oh, my God, who is this guy kind of out of nowhere? Arturo Gotti much more established. There were a lot of reasons why it was a great fight and a great trilogy, but a big part of it was both guys were very hittable. Neither guy were known as defensive specialists. And KLB, you said that any of the fights in Gotti Ward were more technical than this one. You stand by that? I do. Yeah, I do, meaning there were yeah. there were crisp combinations. Yes, it was a it was a war of attrition, but at the same time, there was skill. There was. There was will. There was great combinations, and especially even when you look back at like the, the second two fights, Arturo Gotti started to box a little bit more. There was a he bit had more to, finesse. Yeah. Uh, there was there was things there too. Mickey Ward, you know, blows his eardrum, gets it, or he gets his eardrum blown out on a punt, and has to figure out how to fight the rest of the way. Arturo Brody, Gotti broke his hand in the third fight. Like there were all these little things that we get, but I still think it was way more technical, and I think it's more of a symptom of the lighter weights being that way than the heavyweights. I was watching this, and don't get me wrong, great fight. It right, was entertaining, incredibly as hell. entertaining. Yes, but the whole time I was watching it, I was like, "All right, you know what? I see a couple of new little things from Deontay Wilder." But like, I could already tell what he's doing. He's trying to do a jab at the bottom and go over the top of the right hand, and he looked very tired from round three on. I was shocked that as hell he even got the two knockdowns, which added to the drama. But I kind of knew. I like, we were we're just waiting for the end at this point. Like Fury's gonna knock him out again. Yeah, and and I did feel once again past the two knockdowns, and I didn't see a a Tyson Fury who looked that hurt. You're right. I, even with the two knockdowns, I mean, that's a lot. Getting knocked down twice in a round just sucks, period. Neither one did I go, oh my God, this might be the end, right? It might be an accumulation of damage, but I didn't think he was necessarily hurt by either knockdown. So yeah, there was that inevitability of someone's going down just because Dante Wilder does look tired. Um, Tyson Fury is really good at keeping the pressure on. He has good volume. There was that sense of inevitability that I didn't have the drama, the, the drama of the knockdowns and the, and the constant punishment, the constant pressure, but there wasn't that drama of kind of who could make it through the fight. There wasn't that drama. Will we see it before the end? I, I, I didn't feel that. I knew somebody was going down. It was probably Deontay Wilder at that point. And so, yeah, there was that sense of one guy being better. And that is a big part of why this trilogy doesn't make my it might make my top 10 it doesn't make my top five at all because for me trilogies are about drama trilogies are about finding out who's the best one of the top of all time and i i saw it live uh two out of three of them i saw live riddick bow versus evander holyfield it was they were split one and one then the, the rubber match to settle it frazier ali one in one, man, the rubber match to settle it. Who was best was decided by the last fight. There's almost a default thing to me where if the last fight doesn't decide who's number one, is it really that good? Meaning Tyson Fury in all three of these was the better boxer. He was the better fighter. I thought the draw on the first one was a robbery. Um, he was clearly better in the second one. He knocked him out in the third one. There wasn't that tension of, wow, both of these guys have really shown that they're equals and we're never going to know who's number one without this third one. If this third one had never happened for some reason, 
let's say during the negotiations, uh, Tyson Fury says, I'm retired. That's it. Who's the better boxer in the eyes of history? Tyson Fury knocked him out, beat him in the first one. I thought that was a, a terrible scorecard. I only gave Deontay Wilder the rounds. He knocked him down, which is enough to win a whole fight. Um, and when you look at it that way, this didn't have that tension and drama of Ali Frazier, right? Of Riddick Bowe versus Evander Holyfield, of Eric Morales versus um, Manny Pacquiao. Any of those. Because all of those, it was up in the air until the end. Arturo Gotti, Mickey Ward split, and the last one decides it. The fact that that never happened in this. There was never one fight where Deontay Wilder looked like the better man indicates to me it's a good trilogy. It's a lot of fun. It doesn't make my historic list. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Phil Murphy, he doesn't just know a ton about MMA. He knows a, a ton about the sports world, period. He's going to go through a lot of things with us that, that that I just need some unpacking. How you doing, Phil? <laughs> Jimmy, I'm doing real well, buddy. How are you? Good. Calling me from an airport, I suspect, because you are always on the road just like me. Dude, you know it. I'm, I'm at Dulles Airport right now. <laughs> I was at the Monday night game last night with the Ravens. My parents live over this way, so... Drove to drove to Dulles, and I'm, I'm heading home, and yeah, man, on the road, but I'll be home tonight. All right, so let's start out with the easy, with, with the low-hanging fruit, Monday Night Football last night. I hate to say this as a Steelers fan, but God, do the Ravens have a quarterback or what, man? Oh, man, they do, and you know, in the first half, it looked like the Colts really had him in control, and Frank Reich said as much walking off the field, that they had kept Lamar Jackson in a well. And it's something that you've heard guys talk about with uh, defending Russell Wilson before at the Seahawks, you know, dynamic dual threat quarterback, keeping him in a well, keeping him inside the pocket, forcing him to beat you from there, not letting him get outside, roll out, beat you with his legs, obviously running. Well, Lamar Jackson still did that in the second half. He stayed in the well, but he was very comfortable in that. He told uh, our John Sutcliffe earlier in the week that for him, it's not so much being in a well, but he, he sees it as being in a parking lot. Like, you're in your car, you're in control, you know, you're, you're in a safe place. And, and he certainly looked like he was safe in the, in the second half. And over the course of the game, Jimmy, we've had uh, the exact number is 4,017 games in the NFL where a quarterback has, has attempted at least 40 passes. Of those 4,017, Lamar Jackson's completion percentage last night ranked number one. Uh, unbelievable. I absolutely hate it. Who do you consider the front runner right now uh, in the AFC North? Certainly not my Steelers, although we did get a win over your Broncos, which I'm not going to crow about on air because I'm a better person than that. But uh, who do you consider the powerhouse in that division right now? <laughs> well, it's not your Steelers, buddy. I'm sorry. I mean, watching the Ravens. I said I wasn't going there, but that's cool. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to lean with the Ravens just because of how good they are at home. I mean, no, no, no head coach in the NFL right now has, the, uh, has a better winning percentage than, than John Harbaugh does at his home field. Obviously, the Browns are a terrific threat. Um, and they, they should feel hard done with how they lost in L.A. to the Chargers. First team ever to score uh, 40 points 
not turn the ball over and lose. First team ever to score 40 points, 500 yards, not turn the ball over and lose. And and they lost, and, and there was a, a crucial defensive pass interference call against A.J. Green that was uh, using a bipartisan term, garbage, uh, that, that extended the Chargers' drive that tied the game at 35. Uh, it, it's not really a game-changing play, but I think the tenor of, of the rest of that fourth quarter would have changed had that been the turnover on downs, Browns taking over at midfield. But that's just kind of what happens to the Browns, right? And it just feels like still this is the the Ravens are the king of the north with the Browns a close second. I'm, I'm not really a Bengals believer quite yet. Um, you know, field goal kicking aside at home, this team just doesn't win close games. It, it's the, the Chargers curse of yesteryear. It, since the beginning of last season, or sorry, 2019, the Browns are 4-15-1 in one-score games, by far the worst record in the NFL. They just seem to lose every coin flip they get, and their schedule in the second half is utter hell. I think they're going to be a team that kind of hangs around, but then when we, when we look up in, in early January, they're going to have like a 7-10 and 10 record that they can be proud of. It is improvement, but I think it's a, the Ravens edging the Browns in the AFC North. Uh, when we look at the more controversial subjects, and my God, there are a lot of them right now, John Gruden gone despite a 10-year, $100 million commitment by the Raiders. Uh, I mean... How surprised are you, and at what stage were you surprised, if you were at all, by this entire case going on? Of course, his emails leading to his downfall. Tell me about this. Yeah, I mean, when the emails first came out, uh, the email singular first came out about um, you know him using a racist trope, uh, he says unintentionally, to criticize DeMora Smith, uh, the Players Association. He, he had some plausible deniability uh, they're saying he was referencing, you know, rubber lips as a term for somebody who's dishonest, and he's calling Smith dishonest in a way that was, in his words, reckless but never had racial intent. Uh, but then, when the New York Times reported that a, a number of other emails came out um, with a, a litany of homophobic, homophobic, homophobic slurs, misogynist slurs, um, you could kind of tell where it was going from there. I was at the game, so I, was, I felt like I was a half step behind a lot of the news in terms of. I didn't really get the, you know, the email of or the the note of, oh, my gosh, more emails. And then like an hour later, he's gone. It was just kind of a very quick avalanche. Uh, plus, I, I was with John Sutcliffe on the sideline and he's like he told me, you know, about the time Adam Schefter found out like Gruden's about to resign. So uh, it was it was eye opening then kind of for me, reverse engineering it. It wasn't a surprise. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know how much it would have mattered, but the on field product that he's presented with the Raiders isn't exactly demanding that, you know, they, they, you know, try to work around this or what, 22 and 31 in his tenure, something in that, in that realm, about a 41% win percentage, a lot of, a lot of cracks in the armor that they have with this team. Now, um, even heading into Denver before uh, it, things weren't looking great with them, their offensive line concerns, offensive line draft decisions. But I know Gruden plays only a certain part in, but he does play a role in. And again, I mean, it's, it, it's, it also worked against him significantly that, you know, he's he's coaches the only openly gay player in NFL history, Carl Massett, and then a guy who's been using racial slurs and emails as recently as three years ago. It just it, it makes it a difficult situation for anybody to lead and anybody to want to follow Gruden. At that point, I think the only option was resignation. Uh, when you look at it, and l- let's take a look at, at Urban Meyer as well. Of course, I'm talking to Phil Murphy from ESPN. We worked together on UFC Fight Camp. Now he's filling me in about every other sport. So... Here's the deal. When you look at Urban Meyer, I heard a lot of the same thing. This isn't a big deal if the Jags are 5-0 and and that we tend to tie. Well, as you just said, the on-field performances aren't such that it will warrant anyone getting behind him. How much are those things 
attach the hip. Like you said, Urban Meyer, the Jags are 0-4, and you're out getting a lap dance at a club, meaning not a big deal maybe if they're undefeated. How are these things attached to the hip? Should they be attached to the hip? I mean, that, that's a broader question. Yeah. You know, John, Gr- John Gruden was on the hot seat to a degree coming into this season, and then the question was, 10 years, $100 million, how bad can it get? And then the Raiders go out and they win their first couple games. They look terrific on Monday Night Football, beating the Ravens. You know that 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 yep. win has aged very well. Um, they've been they've been they were competitive aside from the, the Bears game was a disaster, but um, you know they, they were competitive against the Chargers on Monday Night. Um, and you know there, there was hope for the franchise, so it seemed like Gruden had moved things in the right direction. But when you're on a short leash, I mean that's why we call it that. If there's an issue like this, to your point, if the Raiders were five and zero. Man, I don't know if he would have resigned as quickly. I think it would have been uh, ultimately the conclusion just because in that sense, again, I don't know how he would go and, and, and lead that locker room. I, I think he might have lost the locker room at that point. And then that at that point, you know, the results aren't going to stick with you. Urban Meyer so early in his tenure. But, yeah, man, that, that that's a really bad look for anybody, let alone somebody who said he's staying back in Ohio to spend time with his grandkids. And he's out, uh, as I called it on air, scouting tight ends, but not <laughs> – <laughs> that is you, know. you are the king <laughs> phil <laughs> but i mean that's the thing like you you expect better of these coaches and they're it's funny we're so worried about how athletes are going to handle social media culture it's the guys in their 50s who are out there being reckless and and getting themselves in trouble and embarrassing their teams so that i think it plays into anybody off field off field issues with players we we criticize and we weigh into decisions on whether we want to keep them around there are a lot of talented guys who aren't in the nfl because of off field concerns and it's it's sad that these guys who are supposed to be the leaders the team ceo the head coach they're the ones who are uh, oftentimes putting the team in a bad light uh let's break that down a little bit in, in, in a certain way where a lot of people are using this as a condemnation of kind of nfl culture because remember Hey, these were work emails. This was not a raid of his private email. These were work emails because of an investigation having to do with originally, I believe, the Washington football team. So uh, these are work emails. Work people received these emails, and yet he felt comfortable using this kind of language. A lot of people are kind of indicting the NFL and the culture in the NFL. How do you feel about that argument, man? Yeah, I, I think it's a, a fair concern. And, I mean, a lot of it, you know, Gruden is an old-school guy. I, I'll tell you, I was on the sideline of the game, and there were a couple kind of NFL old heads around talking amongst themselves. And they weren't they weren't critical of Gruden's resignation, but they were more just, you know, kind of the holy crap, man. This is this was commonplace language when I was in the league. And it's it's stunning that a guy's now, it's costing him his job. But, I mean, as, as society evolves, we hope for the better and, and becomes more um, – precise with how we talk about people and, and more aware of, you know, ways that, especially again, people in positions of leadership, um, you know, if Gruden's out there using racist tropes um, as he, he would claim harmlessly, but if he's doing that and he's expected to be leaders of men, especially many men of color, like that's, that to me is just, it, it's an untenable situation. And I think it's, um, you know, us realizing a little bit of a gap between kind of the culture that was, that was uh, allowed in the NFL for decades and decades. And, the culture in which we live now. And then there's, it's not going to be a seamless transition. And this is an indication. And I don't think he's going to be the last person who, uh, who we see have this, have this happen to a lot of guys who, especially some of the old heads who don't realize that when they say, okay, as they sign into company email, they're agreeing that this email is going to be monitored and, yep. you know, I can be held accountable for anything I may say here. And, you know, it could be used and, and, and seen at any point. They're going to say, wait, what? <laughs> I mean, cause, 
some of the stuff that Gruden was sending, you know, we're hearing reports. It was like, you know, topless photos and things. My God, I, I'm, I have a cartoon mouse on my paycheck, man. Like that would never cross my mind. But also I'm in my early 30s. I grew up in the Internet age. I mean, I remember right. the AOL dial tone and my mom disconnecting me from the Internet. So I'm a little bit more savvy with that. But these guys don't realize uh, that they're being watched and they're not being watched illegally. And now when it comes, you know, with a formal investigation against the Washington football team, which, which is what spawned all this. Yeah. That light will be shed on this. And, uh, you know, he's the one with uh, not just a little bit of embarrassment, but now he's the one unemployed. By the way, speaking to Phil Murphy from ESPN, whenever we trade text, it is literally breaking balls about our teams playing each other. That's it. We, we are above yep. board every single time, Phil Murphy and I. So uh, switching to the NBA, another topic that is red hot right now, Kyrie Irving cannot play for the Nets at home because he is not vaccinated. The team now saying, we're not going to start you at all until you can play at home. We're not going to pay money for someone we're using part-time. Seems like kind of a no-brainer decision, but Kyrie Irving, do you see anything changing on either side with this? This is a tough issue, man. We've seen Kyrie be contrarian to a fault. You know, I mean, he was the one we used to poke fun at him because the flat earth thing, he would say, hey, you know, we just can't assume the earth is round and it's, you know, or is he a flat earther and, and things like that. He just seems to be somebody who it's, okay, here's the here's the presumed truth. Well, I'm going to push against it. So it didn't surprise me when, you know, the vaccination mandates came out and guys were heavily urged, even some people would use the verb coerced, to be vaccinated. The NBA not making a, a broad sweeping um, requirement of it. I mean, my, my employer does. I, I have to be vaccinated. Yeah, me I too. I provide proof of vaccination to, to work on site. Um, but the NBA has not. The issue is that New York City has and San Francisco has and L.A. has. So Kyrie not being able to practice and then the, the league kind of or the, the, the city and state, uh, you know, nudge that a little bit. They say, well, if the Nets practice facility is a private facility, then Kyrie can practice. But he can't play in home games. What's well, 41 games in your schedule yeah. in the regular season with loads management? Not a huge deal, especially when you can still trot out James Harden and, and Kevin Durant. But if we got to May, and that's still an issue, and Kyrie is saying, yeah, we're the two seed, I'm going to sit out four of every game in a playoff series, and if we get to the finals, what happens if they're playing the Lakers in the finals? Is he just not going to play? And so that's where I think Sean Marks wanted to get ahead of this and say, listen, we're not going to do this part-time thing. Line in the sand is here. We need to decide, are you going to abide by this ruling? I don't think the ruling is going to change anytime soon requiring vaccination. Or do we need to try and find a way that you can play elsewhere uh, it just it's it's not something going forward. I, and John Marks is, is from New Zealand, man. We've seen New Zealand in the news. They don't play with this vaccination stuff. Uh, so it it didn't surprise me. It came to this conclusion. It just how quickly it did is a little bit of a surprise. And now I'm curious to see what the Players Association comes in to do because technically Kyrie hasn't broken any rule. And for him to be suspended for that, I think there's some thorniness there with some potential collective bargaining even though it's going to be you know negative PR if, if the Players Association does push back. We saw Andrew Wiggins similarly uh, decide to get vaccinated rather than try and work around a vaccine mandate in Oakland or San Francisco now with where the Warriors play, uh, the Golden State Warriors. So uh, it's not the end of the story, but it is it was massive news today, and it's one worth watching to see what precedent is established. If I gave you $1,000 to bet on the ultimate outcome of this, whether or not he stays in New York and gets vaccinated, whether he is traded, whether he's somehow suspended, whether the league is somehow forced to keep him, or the team is forced to keep him, what would your bet be on? First thing I would do, I'd go uh, take 300 of that and go out to a nice steak dinner, uh, like like high-end steak dinner with a bottle of wine. You and, and, you and my producer would get along great. <laughs> Always looking for a way out, right? 
<laughs> and then I'd take the remaining 700 and I'd look on it on, on him getting dealt. And the funny thing is now with all this Ben Simmons drama, there's a lot of people firing up the, the trade machine. Ben Simmons rocks up to the Sixers training unannounced to saying, yeah, I'm going to take the COVID test. I'm going to play. I, I have no idea what it's going to be like him putting on that Sixers uniform and trying to jog out on the floor in front of that rabid fan base. Uh, it makes too much sense for them to try and work out a deal. What, what that package would look like for Simmons to end up in Brooklyn with Kyrie to end up in Philly to perhaps work around it. Um, I mean, that's, you know, my NBA 2K self coming out. There are a lot of hurdles for that to happen, but I would say it's more likely than not that Kyrie would not give in to the vaccine uh, requirement to remain a net. What do you think that does to Brooklyn in terms of playoffs, in terms of their future for this season? What do you think the impact is? Well, Kyrie's a terrific player. Yes. And I mean, he's a better player than Ben Simmons in my, in my hypothetical trade scenario. As good as Ben Simmons is on the defensive, defensive end, Kyrie, we have seen him play at, an, at a finals MVP caliber level and carry a team in moments through a postseason. Uh, so the Nets will get a return for him. And Harden and Duran are not a bad duo. So I, I, I think I've, it, it hurts uh, in the immediacy. But if they get a multiplayer package back and give them some depth, I mean, that's depth is a big reason why they're not in the finals. They weren't in the finals last year. And that and Kevin Durant wearing a size 18 shoe, if he were a 15, that, that's a three-pointer against the Bucs and, and the Nets eliminate the Bucs. And, and maybe I was spending, you know, the NBA finals last year in Brooklyn. Uh, but I, 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 I think the Nets will get enough back if they do deal him, if they trade him, if they can't get this worked out. They'll get enough back to where they will still be the team to beat in the NBA finals. And I'm not alone in that, man. You look at the Vegas odds, I still believe they, are, they have the shortest odds to win the NBA final, took to win the NBA final, took a little bit of a hit with this Kyrie news, but I don't think it's completely. Uh, I don't think they've been passed, and I'm, I might be wrong again. I'm traveling today, but uh, I, I think they still are the favorites. I will check it out for you to make sure, Phil Confirm Murphy. It. I will do what I can. Phil Murphy, you're awesome every single time. Looking forward to working with you this week as always. Good luck with your travels, buddy. Stay safe. Love you, buddy. Talk to you soon. This is Lindsay Rhodes, and I'm so excited for my podcast, The NFL Roadshow, to be joining the SiriusXM sports family. We'll be talking about the most compelling topics and to some of the most interesting people in and around the NFL. Taking a look at things through my somewhat nerdy football lens. I like to push past the low-hanging fruit to get to the real stories that are going to make you feel like a smarter football fan. So please join me every Wednesday for The NFL Roadshow, available on the SXM app and wherever you get your podcasts. Who here is a horror movie fan? Kelly, you're horror, before I even get into this, you're a, you're a horror movie fan. She raised her hand, yes, by the way. Like they're my class. favorite kind, for sure. Okay, great. Love horror movies. I'm an old school horror movie fan. Been one my whole life. KOB, yes or no? Yes. Yes, I, all right. I do enjoy it. All right, so we're all horror movie fans. We've all seen the original Scream. We've all seen the original. You see the original trilogy? I think I, I think I actually saw all three, which is pretty rare for me. Oh, there's four, my friend. Oh, there are four. Yeah, I think I saw. Yeah, that's all. I've seen three or four. Yeah, I'm gonna. But bet rarely will I stick around. I'm for gonna four. bet I'm the only one here who's seen all four. <laughs> I've seen all four at some point. I've seen all. Okay, four. Shocking. Cool. I, I've seen shocking. the first three. Of them. No, it is. I do love a horror movie. That's the only thing I'm like committed to. <laughs> but but here's the deal: movies like this tend to lose their steam after a few of them. It's just okay. We get it. We understand at this point. So I saw the first three. I didn't see four. They are remaking it. I just saw the trailer that KOB sent to me. Uh, this one doesn't look bad because it shows a lot of the technology, right? It, it hacked her phone. 
Uh, the locks are like automatic, and he's he's hacked, and she won't pick up her landline stuff like that. It's got some some interesting things that speak to modern society, which makes it a little different. That's kind of fun. You have to show me something a little different. If you're gonna reboot something, show me something different. The new Halloween movie. Jesus, I've seen the original Halloween. You aren't going to get a whole lot better than that. Uh, so what is a reboot of Michael Myers chasing people around, trying to kill Jamie Lee Curtis for 40 years? I get it. What are we going to see here that's that different? So basically, Kelly, you, you are young. I am old. When I was growing up in the 80s, that was like the high point of slasher movies. Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, those were all big when I was a kid, and they were original when I was a kid. Uh, is that as much of a thing now? Do you want a more complicated horror movie? Tell me about it. Like, what do you mean? Are the horror movies that come out now? Yeah, like, like I know, like, like A Quiet Standard Place, or... which I liked. I, I, I liked a few of them that have come out recently, but it's it's like, it is like we'll start with the Halloween reboot, because, you know, okay. Scream is basically a slasher movie. Do we expect something new out of slasher movies these days? Because when I was a kid, it was bad guy chasing around teenagers who did bad things. And that no, was it. It's, yeah. Especially like the remakes of these old classic Halloween movies, I don't really expect much out of. I still am going to watch them because I did enjoy the originals. So I'm going to see what's up with these, but I don't expect a whole lot out of them. But like the original Halloween, I was telling you guys this on the show call, like Michael Myers still scares the living shit out of me. Like... When, like, I would see him, like, chasing down Jamie Lee Curtis and the music. It was just when the music would hit. Still, at 24, like, shivers down my spine. Right. That's great. I mean, it, it's it's a classic for a reason. But loving the original, does that make you want to check out a remake or not? Meaning, you're like, oh, I like the original, so I'll check out the remake. To me, it's kind of the other way around. I like the original so much, do I really want to see a reboot? You know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's almost... I feel like that's weird of you. KOB, is that out of, you know, like, really? Because the original's so good, am I going to watch you ruin it? Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I get like that from time to time. Sure, yeah. See, my yeah. thing was, when I first heard that they were going to make another Scream, I was like, oh, are you serious? Are well, right, exactly. That, that face, yes. But this, but this was the thing. The first Scream was amazing. The second Scream was passable. Third Scream sucked. And so it, did the fourth one. The, the fourth one yeah, was Yeah, the third one sucked. Kidding. I didn't watch the fourth one, yeah. Um... But with this one, I kind of wonder if they're going to get back to a little bit of what they had in the first one. They're never going to be able to recreate that magic. But I do think putting it into, like, this updated world of, like, right off the bat, like, the house line is ringing and the girl won't answer because she's on her cell phone. Like, I think that's funny. I think the whole, like, electric locks, which I've always hated the idea of on your phone, that you can unlock and lock stuff on your I'm like, all this stuff can be hacked so easily. Like, why would you ever want that? Like, why would you ever want your your house locks on some kind of electric phone type there. The fact that they're hitting that because the beauty of the first one is that they kind of revived the slasher fic, the, 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 the slasher uh, yeah. flick back in the day. Cause they made fun of all those old tropes from the past ones. Like you can never have sex. You can never drink or do drugs. Like all those, like never say I'll be right back. back. Cause you'll never be right back. Right, right. Yeah. Even like the very beginning and like even uh, killing off, what was it? Drew Barrymore at the beginning. That was like a shock to everyone. No one thought that was going to happen. Like it was like, like, wow, did they just kill the star? Like, what just happened here? Right. Like, it was so crazy to watch it Spoiler all Spoiler alert, by the way. Listen, the movie's like 30 years old at this point. If you haven't seen Scream, it's you your own goddamn Scream, problem. I don't know what to tell you. Right. <laughs> I'm not the first person to talk about how crazy that was, and they did that with Drew Barrymore. They did, um, and that was amazing, yeah. 
but they just completely revived it by just putting a new take on it. It's always going to be a psycho killer is chasing kids down with some form of, you know, object to slice them up. But, like, it's how you go about it and how you tell the story. And that first screen was brilliant, just making fun of the fact. And it was Wes Craven, of all people, making fun of the fact of all those things that they used to do. They kind of fell back into that. With the, they tried to do a little bit more with the second one, and then it was okay and, like I said, passable. But like the third and fourth were terrible installments, but it looks to me, at least from this trailer, and I, I could be fooled. I've been fooled before, Jimmy Smith, on the trailer. Yes. Uh, it looks to me like they might be trying to go a little bit back to it. Because if I'm getting, if, if I'm seeing what I think I'm seeing in that trailer, it's the killer has kind of moved on from Sidney Prescott in the gang, but Sidney Prescott and the gang are going to get involved because they realize what's going on. So it's not like yes. they're going after Sidney. It's like they look like they're going to get involved when this killer is trying to do just something else just to do it and going after right. people. And, and and that's it, it, it has the potential to be interesting. Check out the trailer. But when I saw like the trailer for the new Matrix movie, I'm like, boy, I've seen all of this before. When I saw the new Top Gun trailer, I was like, I saw all of this 35 years ago. I this is not something I need to see again. This has potential, but the problem is horror movies are kind of based on tropes, and so. It's hard to refresh them all the time. Scream did a great thing by making fun of all those tropes. But it's very difficult to get something new going in a horror. And also, another thing that is makes horror just really difficult is the audience is way ahead of the characters. Where we know what's happening instantly. All right, so as you said, could be, you know, killer stalking kids with a sharp object. It takes the characters in the movie halfway through it to figure out what's going on. We already know what's going on. I've seen some modern horror movies that have witches and stuff in it, and you know immediately a witch is doing something. Well, normal people don't go there in their heads, so it takes them an hour to figure out that a werewolf is stalking the town. Well, I know that already because I'm watching a horror movie, right? It's a hard thing to deal with, KOB. Do you know what always makes me laugh? Oh. When you'll be watching one of those things, like especially like the old Halloween stuff like that, like Psycho Killer is going, like, oh, that's crazy, he's dead. It's like... It's Mike. It's Halloween four. Have you guys not figured Have out the you guy's not, figured not dead? Out yet? The guy doesn't <laughs> die, right? Yeah, yeah. Jason's back again, guys. I don't know what to tell you. Have you not figured this out that you might not be dealing with what you think right? By the fifth with? time, Jason stalks through our cabin uh, with a machete that he doesn't die, right? I get it. In our real life, we'd probably say, "Oh no, that's not possible." But this is, uh, you know, the fourth or fifth film in the franchise. You would think you guys would have just accepted the fact that all right, we can't get rid of this guy so easy. It's a little bit tougher than we exactly. Thought it was. And so the audience is just way ahead of everybody in the movie, and that. Discord is, is is hard to catch up with. It's difficult. They are one of going, oh, who's that? Well, we know who it is, right? Oh, who's there? We know who's there. You don't know who's there. And that disconnect can be a little difficult to deal with. But I'm willing to give this one a shot, and we'll check it out. And when it, it, I don't know if it's coming out on any platform that's digital, or is it just only in theaters, do you know? Uh, that I didn't see, but not until January 2022. Okay. Kel, if she won't stand me up again, perhaps we'll check this one out and see if it if it passes muster. All right, we'll see. January is a ways away. All right, but we got right. We got it. I know you can't. But we got to figure out maybe some we rewatch report for Halloween movies that has got to come up, and we'll see if we can scare each other with some good picks. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin 
Andy King is director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.